Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be one to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Hope springs eternal. At least for tech it does. Every year for the last three years, the market's come in hot in January. The real strength is in the tech-laden NASDAQ. <laughs> this year's no different. While the loud a- averages got hit today and Dow dipping 120 points, S&P declining 0.28%, and the Nasdaq only slipping three basis points. In fact, the Nasdaq, though, is up more than a percent for the year, while the other averages are barely positive, and the tech part of the index, which is what I'm focusing on tonight, is pretty much on fire. Yep, today we saw some remarkable moves in all sorts of tech stocks, as analysts and analysts came out of their foxholes and issued bullish recommendations that reverberated throughout the whole sector. Pit action! This is a special time, a moment when the analysts survey their coverage universe and make predictions for the rest of the year. So far, the tech predictions have been very positive, as they pretty much are every year. But why not? There's plenty to like here. The pre-announcement of a better-than-expected quarter from a company you probably never even heard of called Microchip bolsters a host of semiconductor stocks, text instruments, analog devices, which drives with Cowan's big upgrade this morning of Micron and Western Digital. Now, both of those companies are seeing strong demand, short supply for the commodity chips. You always have to buy these stocks coming off the bottom. That's what I've been telling you over and over again. Even if the bottom was mostly caused by Micron repeatedly cutting production to turn pricing around. Do you know the Micron stock roared $4.70 today, or 8.78% on an upgrade? Given an overall weaker tape, that's an astounding performance. Meanwhile, the captains of tech sound off at CES, formerly the Consumer Electronics Show. It's a gigantic trade show, and it's all bullish. Lisa Sue. The fabulous CEO of AMD talked about strong demand for her data center, PC, and gaming chips, and she gave us a spectacular blueprint for future sales. Colette Kress, the brilliant CFO of NVIDIA, tells us how inference chips, actual thinking chips, are becoming a real part of the business. We may be closer to genuine artificial intelligence than most people seem to think. At last, it's time to reflect it in the actual earnings per share. What else? If customers are buying semiconductors in record numbers, then the chip makers need more capacity. So what do they do? Well, they go to KLA, they go to Applied Materials, they go to Lamb Research. No wonder their stocks are soaring. Executives are showing off all sorts of new devices. We're seeing tremendous excitement about the early demand for 5G. It could be the biggest tech cycle in history. 5G ripples through everything from Skywork Solutions to Corvo to NXP Semi and Marvell Technology. Now, we're going to talk about the wonders of 5G with the CEO of Harman later in the show. Maybe you'll believe me then. Elon Musk. Talk about tech. He gave an incredibly rosy outlook for Tesla's Chinese demand. He even did a jig, actually a rapturous dance in Shanghai, because he can't contain his excitement. Hey, why not? Tesla's going to be selling 150,000 cars this year from the Chinese factory that didn't exist. Didn't exist 12 months ago. Took 10 months to build. Take it. Oh, none of the American companies could build something like that. You know, you know, this thing is up 150% since May, and it's got more room to run. The cloud kings continue the romp as one analyst after another names them their top picks. Salesforce just rallied for a second day on one of these knots. It just jumped 10 bucks 
this week alone. That thing was stuck in the 150s forever. We also got a big endorsement of Twitter by Merrill Lynch, which set the social media cohort on fire, including Facebook, which is on an outright tear. Cybersecurity stocks, they've been rocking. Why, of course, Iranian cyber attack. Defense. Just today, we got an upgrade of the industry's ultimate laggard, FireEye. Not like 3%. An upgrade. I could go on and on. Point here is tech stocks are reacting to every single positive upgrade, every single data point, and the stocks bye, bye, bye. they go higher. Should we be shocked at this strength? Despite all the headlines about how Iran is ready to wreak havoc to retaliate against us for killing one of their top generals, I myself am torn. On the one hand, history is on your side. For the last three years, ever since President Trump was sworn in. Tech stocks have rocketed higher in January. January 2017, Nasdaq Composite rallied 4.3%. January 2018, 7.4%. Last year, despite a hideous pre-announcement from Apple, the Nasdaq blasted to the moon up 9.7%. Now, the Nasdaq index itself, the composite, that is not to buy. There are way too many drug stocks, and those are the exact opposite of the tech stocks I'm talking about here. Those are safety last stocks. Uh, yeah, look, on the, one, on the other hand, these January tech rallies... They don't always have legs. In February of 2018, you had a one-two punch of an economy that was too darn hot and a series of dangerous bets made against the volatility index, or VIX, that blew the stock market to kingdom come. What else? It's important to recognize that you're not early this time around. Last year, we just come through the j bear market, precipitated by the Fed chief's foolish decision to rapidly raise interest rates while promising still more rate hikes in 2019. As soon as Powell changed his tune, the averages caught fire. This time around, there's no springboard. We've already had a major run. That said, the trends driving so much of this tech rally are real, and they are long-lasting. Let's take 5G. This is the year when 5G networks should really take off. So any company with a decent amount of 5G exposure is going to win. Uh, And that means everything from the semiconductor names I already mentioned all the way up to Apple. Second, digitization. I know I talk about it forever, but you know, it's still in its infancy. That gives you room to buy something like a Salesforce or Workday or ServiceNow or Adobe. Please, the, I, my capital trust just actually trims ServiceNow. I mean, trims from Salesforce. I had to. I, you know, the stock shouldn't be up 10, 10 bucks in two days. Third, there's a definitive shortage of social media stocks. Think about it. We've got Twitter, Facebook, Snap. That's about it. I mean, advertising remains strong. Don't forget Trade Desk. Look, I know many people believe that we're about at the level where you have to be a moron to buy stocks up here. We have an unpredictable present. It's provoked potentially serious retaliation from Iran. We have an employment number on Friday that could be very well too, too hot. Too hot. Too hot for the Fed to justify more rate cuts. Remember, if we get a strong labor report, the hard money types will crawl out of the woodwork and insist the Fed needs to tighten. But against all these negatives, there's hope. Hope based on a stronger tech market propelled by great secular growth trends that transcend these worries. Okay, now I read my Twitter feed. I see what the critics are saying. They're saying I've gotten too negative. Now, as a promise to my eldest daughter, I've become Jimmy Chill. Yeah, Jimmy Chill is what she calls me. So um, I saw the Tina Turner play this weekend. I don't want to fight no more. But I will say this. I'm not an Armageddonist. Although when you read the news stories about what Iran has planned for us, you can understand why someone might join that camp. I'm not a garden variety bear. This market's too resilient. I'm not even neutral. Too many opportunities. The bottom line is, I'm simply trying to be respectful of the power of hope melded with the strength in so many parts of the technology complex. I want to buy these stocks, but only in a weakness. However, keep in mind that we've run a great deal, so you have to be prepared for an exogenous event 
that causes a pullback that will give you opportunities to buy at lower, less expensive levels. Mark in Nevada. Mark. Hey, Jim. Go blue. A long-time okay. listener, first-time caller. Yeah. In the past, you've recommended Marvel. It's been hovering around 25, 26. Is this stock only a play in 5G space, or should I hold it in my law? You've got to hold it. This big petition for Chapel Trust. It is biding its time. It's reshuffling its deck. It's getting rid of low-margin things like Wi-Fi, moving aggressively into 5G, and I think when it's done, it will be the purest 5G play there is by Marvell. Ah. Hey, how about Alex in Pennsylvania? Alex! Hey, Jim. Uh, nice to talk to you. It's, uh, thank you so much for everything you've taught me. I appreciate uh, it deeply. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, question about GW Pharma. I've been uh, in that stock for some time now, buying a, a bit uh, each time it goes down 5 7%. But I know. What do you think? Is it time to let go of that or keep holding no, on? No, no. I think you can hold on to it. I mean, GW Pharma is the actual pharmaceutical they create. Cannabis that is uh, used principally right now for uh, epilepsy for young children. Uh, I don't want to give up on GW Pharma, but I could understand your frustration. Can we go to Carlo in Florida, please, Carlo? Booyah, Jimbo. Carlo here in Coral Gables with my daughters, Mia and Olivia. We want to know about Square. We're not very happy with the part-time CEO and the non-aggressive nature of Ambrita, the CFO. Can you please let me know if it's time to sell it or hold no, it? No, 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 but I struggle myself. I struggle myself with Square. Jack Dorsey's in Africa. Look, everybody's just online all the time, so maybe it shouldn't matter. I think Square is doing incredibly well. The stock itself is completely flatlining. They will have a meeting soon where I think you'll feel much better about it. We got an upgrade today. I say you buy Square, not sell it. Right, guys, listen, hope is springing eternal for tech, just like it did last year and the year before and the year before that. Oh, man, tonight. Dollar, dollar, billia. It's time to pay more attention to the action of the greenback. I'm going to go off the charts and explain why. Then I've got 2020 vision on the sportswear companies. Nike, Under Armour, Columbia. Who will make the cut? I'll reveal. And gadgets and gizmos plenty. I've got the exclusive with the CEO of Harmon from CES. You don't want to miss it. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. For the past year, we haven't had to spend a lot of time worrying about currency fluctuations. The dollar's been strong, not great for our exporters. And it had become a recurring problem for all multinationals. You heard it on every conference call. But now something new, something different, something positive is happening for our companies. A weaker greenback. And we've got to see how weak it can get. Uh, 
Currency markets are not my province, but that's why I'm going off the charts with the help of Carly Garner. She's a brilliant technician. She's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading, and she's the author of High Probability Commodity Trading because she thinks the weakened greenback could be poised for a major breakdown. And once that happens, it's going to bleed into everything else, stocks, bonds, commodities, you name it, not just the earnings of the multinationals. All right, why don't you take a look at the weekly chart of the dollar index, specifically the March U.S. dollar index futures, which measures the value of the U.S. dollar against a basket of foreign currencies. The blue line here? Okay. Uh, that's the 100-week moving average. I have never used that one. Now, Garner's not a huge believer in using moving averages to come up with price targets. Uh, many technicians are. But when you look at the longer-term ones, she thinks that they can give you a helpful big-picture view. When it comes to the dollar index, we've seen over and over that when it breaches the 100-week moving average, well, you tend to get a significant move. You can see, boom, that's big. Wow, you could really get clobbered. In 2014, the dollar broke out above the 100-week moving average. Okay, you can see, look at this move, right? And it's signaling a colossal rally. The dollar index only ran from the low 80s to the triple digits. We went from a weak greenback to a strong greenback, and the move totally changed the landscape in the commodity markets with oil and gas prices plummeting, and it also hurt the earnings of a lot of the multinationals. Then in 2017, the dollar index broke down below its 100-week moving average uh, before plunging from the high 90s to the high 80s. Garner points out after our currency weakened, we saw big rallies in oil, gas, and gold. Of course, it's not just that all these commodities are priced in dollars. You also had bullish fundamentals giving them a boost. But the weak dollar was still a major catalyst. Garner brings this up because, once again, the dollar index looks poised for a major, major breakdown. The March futures are currently trading near 9650 The relative strength index, an important momentum indicator, is down at 41, meaning there's still plenty of room for more selling before the dollar gets oversold. If the greenback breaks down, if it takes out this level, uh, if it goes below the 100-week moving average, currently near 95.60, Garner thinks that it will alter the balance of the currency and commodity markets. While the dollar index has a floor of support at 93, she expects traders to be caught off guard. She thinks it's going to plunge already to 88.25. Now, if she's right, a lower dollar will drive most commodity prices higher. It's something that maybe the Fed is going to be worried about. Uh, if the move happens gradually, Garner believes it will also boost the stock market because so many big multinationals would benefit. However, if the dollar moves lower rapidly, that could trigger some uncertainty. Meanwhile, a weaker greenback is bad news for U.S. Treasuries because their coupon payments become less valuable relative to other currencies. What exactly should we be looking for here? All right, check out the monthly chart of gold prices. The precious metal has been on a tear, in part because the dollar's already started weakening, igniting a fierce rally. But, of course, uncertainty drives gold, too. It's gotten big lift from geopolitical worries. If you think we're headed for war with Iran, well, you know, as I've been saying over and over again, cash and gold, cash and gold, right? Uh, However, in the absence of a big breakdown in the dollar, Garner would expect gold prices to peak sooner rather than later. As she sees it, the precious metal is already pricing in the decline in the dollar index down to the low 90s. At this point, gold futures are nearing their major long-term ceiling of resistance, and the relative strength index is nearing overbought levels, meaning we've come up too far too fast. But if we get the breakdown in the dollar that Garner's anticipating, gold should get still an extra boost. With a weak dollar, she can see the precious metal breaking out above its ceiling, which is right now at 1605, next ceiling, 1793. Maybe we even retest the 1900s. Now, we haven't seen that level since 2011, although she doesn't think that's likely. 
Without a meaningful decline in the dollar, Garner thinks gold will run out of steam. Make its way, this was kind of striking to me, make it all the way back to 1250. Woo! And if that level fails, she thinks it's going to go to $1,115. In short, the dollar holds the key to the rally. Now, take a gander at this weekly chart of gold uh, with the Commodity Futures Trading Commission's a Commitment of Traders Report, or COT Report, which tells you what small speculators, large speculators, and commercial hedgers are doing. Now, we care mostly about the large speculators, money managers. Lately, they've gone all in, all in gold. This is, do you know, this is their largest net long position in gold in history? Well, Garner believes the precious metal could have a little more upside. This trade has gotten incredibly crowded, and there's good reason to believe it's gotten way ahead of itself. I mean, look at this. I mean, everyone's recommending gold now. Remember, I've been recommending gold since the show began. I think 10% of your assets should be in gold. I like insurance. Insure your house, insure your portfolio. What else gives Garner pause? U.S. Treasuries. Take a look at the daily chart of the TLT, an ETF that owns long-term treasuries. In times of geopolitical turmoil, wouldn't you expect uh, this thing to go higher because bonds are a safe haven, like gold, right? But that hasn't happened. The TLT is trading sideways, less volatility. As far as Garner's concerned, the gold market and the bond market can't both be right. Now, bond traders tend to be more level-headed compared to people who trade gold futures. With that, in, oh, I'm going to take a lot of heat on that, but it's true. With that in mind, Garner's assuming that. Remember, you can attack me on Twitter. I'm not going to respond. Uh, assuming that gold has overreacted and treasuries have underreacted. Ironically, even though speculators are usually long gold, they're moderately short treasuries. But when you zoom out. That actually makes sense. Last year, U.S. Treasuries got a huge boost from the rest of the world. Foreign bonds were paying negative interest rates, so investors from overseas sent their money here. The rest of the world's interest rates have gone higher, though. So there's now less overseas cash flooding into our bond market. Just like gold, Garner expects the currency market to be decisive here. Uh, except when it comes to Treasury bonds. A weaker dollar should send them lower. If she's right about the dollar, she expects the TLT to head to 130 uh, from 137, that would be pretty dramatic too, uh, which equates to the 30-year Treasury uh, yielding uh, about 2.5%, up from 2.3%. It might make a brief run at 142 uh, before then, but Garner's betting it will be rebuffed, and she recommends selling into strength. Sell this ETF, okay? That's important. A lot of traders are in that thing. Uh, the bottom line, the charts as interpreted by Carly Garner tell us that it's time to start paying more attention to the action in the dollar, and it is about to plummet. She's betting on a big breakdown, not this little one we've had so far. Good news for gold. Bad news for U.S. Treasuries. Good news for American companies that do a lot of business overseas. I hope she's right. I want to see higher earnings for our biggest international companies. That could drive the market higher. Ultimately, if she's right, that's precisely what we will get. Stick with Kramer. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com slash apps. As 2020 gets rolling, let me get you up to speed on one of my favorite stories and one of yours, the sportswear bull market. 
Last year, during a rough period for the broader power cohort, sportswear roared higher. Kramer fave Nike, I mean, it has been my fave since the show began, rallied nearly 37% last year. Columbia Sportswear gained 19%. And even the down-and-out Under Armour finished 2019 up 22%. Although, of course, it was done with a lot of turbulence. But all three of these companies have experienced some big changes over the past few months. So we got to re we got to reconfigure here. Nike and Under Armour both brought in new CEOs, while Columbia Sportswear lost its longtime chairwoman, Gertrude Boyle. She's the mother of Kramer Fave CEO Tim Boyle, and we offer Tim and his family our condolences. Now we know this group fascinates you, so we have to ask: What does the future hold for the big three? Let's start with Nike. Last year, the big worry with Nike was whether they'd be able to maintain their momentum in China, despite the trade war. Boy, people shorted it because of that. You know, it turned out to be a total non-issue. Nike forged some strong relationships with the Chinese government, and it was able to keep delivering incredible sales, even before we got the phase one trade deal last month. Probably the best performer in China, along with, yes, Apple and Starbucks. New fear. In late October, we learned that Nike's long-term CEO, Mark Parker, could be stepping down. And moving on to the role of executive chairman. For his replacement, the board decided to bring in John Donahoe, then CEO of ServiceNow, and formerly CEO of eBay. Donahoe is set to take the reins next week. I think he has, he's a fantastic choice. Let me explain why. You need to understand, Parker's handing Donahoe a truly tremendous enterprise. Nike's been able to put up terrific quarter after quarter after quarter. Most recently, the company posted a magnificent beat and raise last month. It was a clinic. There's a reason these guys are the biggest footwear and sportswear company on earth. Nike keeps innovating, rolling out new ways to customize its products, and offering customers a constantly improving digital experience. Have you seen that store in Midtown Fifth Avenue? If you come to Man- Midtown Manhattan, if you come to Manhattan from out of town, go to the Nike store. It's incredible. It's a wonder. The company's digital apps outperformed all other channels, driving 38% of digital growth. If you read Nike's last conference call, do you know that the word digital appeared 47 times? Digitization. That's where Nike's focus is, and that's why I think Donna was such a good hire. Remember, he spent years running ServiceNow. It's a cloud-based software company that helps his clients automate all sorts of back-office processes so they can save money. He's exactly the kind of executive you want if you're trying to grow your digital business. Now, you might worry that ServiceNow is an enterprise play, while Nike, of course, is the ultimate consumer-focused company. But before he ran ServiceNow, Donahoe was the CEO of eBay. He understands both sides of the equation. He understands the consumer. And we've had him on so many times. I know he's got it, he's got it down. And remember, Mark Parker's staying on as executive chairman, so he and Donahoe will be working together initially. Now, Nike's had an impressive run. The stock's currently selling for 29 times next year's earnings estimates. I think the company's firing on all cylinders. But if you don't own it at that kind of price, you've got to wait for some exogenous issue pullback. In other words, something that isn't involving Nike that causes the market to be brought down. You reach for this one. Okay, next up, you don't reach for this one. Under Armour. This story's got a lot of hair on it. Remember, on Wall Street, bald is beautiful. Hair's bad. It's like finding hair in your soup. For ages, Under Armour was one of the hottest growth stocks around, but in 2015, it slammed headfirst into a concrete retaining wall. During 2016, 2017, the industry got more competitive. Companies grow slowed. Under Armour was supposed to be a $50 plus stock in 2015, but by November of 2017, it had plunged to 11 bucks. But that's where it bottomed. Now, after spending years lost in the wilderness, Under Armour finally started turning itself around. It had a very nice run in 2018, in the first half of last year. At its peak last July, the stock was up 57% for the year. But then it hit another wall. 
At the end of July, the company reported a very disappointing quarter. Grim guidance, stock up, poleaxed. Then it got hit again two months ago when the Wall Street Journal published a bizarre story stating that Under Armour was the subject of a big federal accounting probe. That sent the stock from 21 to 17. However, by the end of last year, it had rebounded 21 change, in part because the most recent quarter was better than feared. The big change here, in late October, Under Armour announced that founder, chairman, CEO Kevin Plank was resigning from the CEO job, though he's staying on as executive chairman and brand chief. His replacement, fellow by the name of Patrick Frisk, who took over as Under Armour's chief operating officer in 2017. Before that, he was CEO of Aldo, the shoe retailer. And before that, he spent more than a decade working with VF Corp's outdoor brands, good ones, Timberland, North Face. That's a good pedigree. My view, the accounting probe, I just want to say point blank. I think it's contained. I think the scrutiny is overdone. I don't want to take it off the table. You can't do that, but it's not important. Now, I wish I could be more sanguine about Under Armour's actual company prospects. Unlike Nike's leadership change, Under Armour promoting its COO to CEO feels a little bit too much of more of the same. He, I, this company needs a bit of a new vision, although I think if Kevin Pine came here right now with Mr. Frisk, we could get that vision explained. But right now, I feel like I just feel like the market's too crowded for what they're offering. I know this, this, is, this hover is doing very well, but it just seems, I don't know, it, I, it seems lost in the shuffle. Kevin Plank is adamant that he's been instrumental in the company's recent turnaround, but the turn hasn't always gone smoothly. Finally, while Nike's in great shape, Under Armour's still in the middle of a turnaround. Turnarounds are really hard, even for a person accomplishes as uh, Mr. Frisk and, uh, and Mr. Plank. Both stocks have roughly the same valuation, but Nike's got consistent high single-digit growth. Under Armour's struggling to grow at all. I hope Patrick Frisk can pull, pull it off. I like these guys. I want to reiterate, the accounting scandal may be, let's say, much ado about nothing. But the actual fundamentals, show me. Last but not least, there is Columbia Sportswear, which you might recognize as Columbia, Sorrel, uh, Prana, with capital A, Mountain Hardware. This stock's been an incredible performer, rising from the teens at the depths of the Great Recession to 100 as of today. Now, the story here is, is uh, more of a tragedy. Late last year, Gert Boyle, the longtime chairwoman and Boyle family matriarch, passed away. She took a small apparel company that was not far from bankruptcy in the 70s and turned it into a $6.8 billion powerhouse. Now, Columbia Sports was very much of a family business. Gert Boyle's son, Tim, CEO, is taking over as acting chairman. So why do I bring this up? Because for years I've been hearing speculation that the passing of Ms. Boyle could put Columbia in play, meaning it opens up the possibility that the company might put up for sale. My view, I don't think that's going to happen. Also, you should never buy a stock purely because of takeover speculation. But Columbia Sportswear is a very well-run company. While I'm wary of recommending it up here, and it does have uh, some, uh, let's just say, sub-exposure to tariffs. Here you have it on the Sorrel, made in China. Uh, I do think that, like Nike, like Nike, if this one comes in, you want to pounce on it. Here's the bottom line. We've seen a series of big management changes in the sportswear space in the recent month. But I'm going to reiterate, I think we're sticking with Nike worth buying Columbia on a discount. And Under Armour still got a lot to prove before I can bless owning its stock. Let's go to Tracy in California. Tracy. Hi, Kramer. I am a marathon runner, and my running community is obsessed with wearing Lululemon. Do you think there's more room for this stock to run? No pun intended. Uh, I love that. Uh, The answer is yes. I think Lulu's not done. Uh, 233 did hit an uh, all-time high today. I think Lulu is incredibly well-run. It's been well-run. It's got a new CEO. It is just terrific. Uh, and uh, even up here, it's a buy. Oh, let's go to Gerard in uh, South Carolina. Gerard. Hey, Jim. How are you? I am good, Gerard. How about you? Good. Sorry, to, sorry about Philadelphia. I was rooting for him. Yeah, me too. 
I was going back and forth with my friend Brent Selleck today. You know, I'm trying not to. I'm, I'm going to put it behind me soon, but I just want Carson Wentz to get better as fast as possible. Yes, yes, absolutely. Good point. Okay, Jim, I started a position in Revolve on your recommendation. They missed their last two quarters. Do you still like it? Yeah, I really do. I mean, I know that I know this stock has come down a great, a great deal. But it's an e-commerce fashion company that I think I, mean, I actually had a debate with this with my daughter. Uh, who says, you know, Dad, you're a little too bullish on this company. I think it's got a terrific, terrific uh, fashion presence, and I'm not backing away from it. I think it's fine. All right, there's a, pow- there's a powerful sportswear bull market going on, and I think it's worth putting your money on these. When the market comes in, Nike and, and Columbia, you get that exogenous event that everyone's talking about. How about thinking of these two when it happens? More mad money ahead. For decades, this company's been focused on the next big thing. Don't miss what Harman CEO has to say about the future of technology. Live from CES, music to my ears. Then I'm dumbfounded by Tesla, but for reasons that may surprise you. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. On the open road, this company is delivering to motorists. Music the way it ought to be heard. As the 5G era draws near, can you connect to the future with Harman? Every January, the tech industry assembles in Las Vegas. They show off their newest products. It's called it CES. That's that shindig formerly known as the Consumer Electronics Show. I've been there. It's really wild. This year's CES got rolling yesterday, which is why tonight we're checking in with one of my favorite consumer technology places. I'm talking about Harman the maker of all sorts of audio and visual technology for the connected car, as well as the home sound systems and headphones. I bet you got something from Harman in your house now nearly three years ago. Harman was acquired by Samsung, and we loved the stock. And now the company remains a subsidiary of the South, South Korean tech titan. But even though we can't own the stock directly, we can still benefit from the management's brilliant and innovative expertise. So let's take a closer look with one of the oldest friends of the show, Dinesh Paliwal. He's the presidency of Harman. Get a sense of what he's got cooking now that CES 2020 is in full swing. Mr. Paliwal, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to be on your show, Jim. You know, Dinesh, I miss you very much. And I miss you not just because of how, what you did with Harman, I, because you have unbelievable insight. Tell me what it means to have sold 100 million headphones. Jim, we're in a pretty good place right now. You know, on the consumer side, which is Harman's oldest heritage, we're gaining one new headphone customer a second, which is 32 million new customers in one year. So we're very happy. And we've come from number nine position to number three, and the fastest growing ahead of Apple, ahead of Sony, ahead of Bose. Couldn't be happier. But, Jim, CES right now is buzzing. And it's very different from last five, seven years, what I have seen. So something special is in the air. It's not about unique cutting-edge technology. It's about finally these things like augmented reality, artificial intelligence, smart everything, smart display, passenger economy, 5G, they are starting to come together to create a solution and companies are coming together to create a collaboration, finally putting it all together because one company cannot do it alone. So I'm very happy to see what I'm seeing right now. Well, Dinesh, let's talk about, say, I use the example of gaming. Uh, Gaming is maybe the most popular thing 
uh, in the world right now. And Harmon is now doing some things in gaming, making it so that you've got the best quality technology uh, to go along with the unbelievable games. Why did you move into gaming so aggressively? So, Jim, uh, we've been in headphones for the past 40 years. The recording reference headphones were made by AKG and JBL. But we entered into consumer headphones, and this year, I'm very proud that JBL launched first in industry. It's a JBL Quantum. It's a patented technology which really attracts, puts actually the gamer in the context and contextual. Special, you can do many headphones, but this one really gives you immersive 360 view of up to 40 channels in some games we have. So we believe this is a fastest growing category, $35 billion market in 2024, and we want to play big in that. All right, this so Dinesh, this morning, uh, a very, uh, a Catherine Ross works with me at the street, said, Jim, maybe you're making too much of 5G. Is it possible that it's really just overhyped? Please tell me, Dinesh, that it's as big as I think it is. So, Jim, you're the master, but you're asking me, so I'm going to give you my view. Uh, look, 5G has been hype for the last many years. At the same time, we all know, without 5G, we could not really apply AR and AI, the smart IoT, the smart displays, the passenger economy, the shared mobility. This morning, I was part of BMW's announcement that first 5G-enabled telematics would be in commercial car in 2021, and that would be supplied by Harman Samsung. And this is going to go spread like wildfire. So 5G is here, and Jim, 5G is 100 times faster than 4G. And by the way, we never had 4G in real life. We only used 3, 3 and a half. So 5G will give us what took 28 minutes to download a movie. 5G will do it in four seconds. Oh. So this will allow Teslas of the world, the BMWs, the GM, to really take the sensor from car take it to the cloud and have the action come with no latency. It will really leapfrog autonomous driving initiatives, connected lifestyle, connected professional side, connected life, the whole office environment. So 5G is real, it's happening. This will require standards across the United States. This will require global public-private partnership, Jim. But technology is ready, it's mature, it's under application now. I see it. Well, if it's that fast and I'm, I'm holding up my 11, why, why do I need uh, cable TV? I mean, it sounds faster or equal to cable. You know, uh, this, is, this is an interesting word. A lot of new players have entered. Uh, those who are streaming live, they launch latest movie from Netflix in the theater, same time is coming on Netflix. So a lot of content creators are coming. And privately, people like you and I, if you have competence, we are creating content, spreading it, and streaming live. So I think this is going to be a play. Who can give you high-quality, relevant content on time, everywhere, anytime, and on time? And has to be high resolution and without buffering. I hate buffering. <laughs> 5G will take care of that. So I'm, I'm really excited about consumer side, where we are able to bring end-to-end -end Samsung's capability from chip, from compute platform, to the mobile 2.5 billion phones, the whole network, and most importantly, this company understand user experience, UI. And when you bring that all together in home, in car, and in enterprise, I think we're in a pretty, uh, pretty good position to leapfrog. And I think that's what will define. But this definition will not come alone from Samsung Harman, Jim. 
this will require our partnership with Microsoft, with Google, with Amazon, uh, companies like uh, Tencent in China, which by the way we are showing collaboration, and my dear friend uh, from Salesforce.com, I know you love them and I love them. We have actually a BMW car here showing full application of Salesforce.com without distraction as a passenger you can really orchestrate your pursuit from the car. So it's 5G which will make it right. real time with no latency. I want to, I want to be clear, it won't happen okay. next year, it won't happen this year. I think it's 2021 end right. and then after that it's going to really spread. Okay, yeah. look, that's enough for me to be able to start investing in, that, in, that, in, in what I regard to be a tidal wave. <laughs> and I want to thank you so much to Dinesh Paliwal, President CEO of Harman and a great friend of the show. Great to see you, sir. Mad Money's back after the break. It is time! It's time for the And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, time for the lightning round. Because you might start with you in Florida. You! Hello, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, with only 5G being the greatest investors coming up, what do you think of American Tower? Okay, American Tower is trading right now on what the judge is going to do on the t- on the merger between T-Mobile and Sprint. I say wait a few days, stocks coming down, and then you'll get a better chance to buy. Let's go to Gerard in New Jersey. Gerard! Hey, Jim. How's it going tonight? Oh, man, it's going really well. How about you? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Hey, I'm looking for a price target as well as a time frame on Mattel. I think, well, you know, we had Mattel on just a few weeks ago, and the stock's been motoring higher. And I think this thing could go to 17, 18 without a problem. They have fixed the company. I'm a believer in Mattel. Let's go to Robbie in New Jersey, please, Robbie. Rob. Uh, Jim, up, Rob. Jim Zoy, this is Rob from Dirty Jersey. How are you tonight? I'm from Clean Jersey. I'm doing well. What's going on? I love to hear it's it. It's a garden Jim. state, Chief. <laughs> okay, well, listen, Jim, I bought a position in Ivaric, letters I-S-E-E. I bought it at $1.85 a share, close today at eight forty-four. I got a stop loss in at $7.50 to sell 25%. I got another stop in at $7 to sell 25%. And I got another stop in at six fifty to sell the remaining fifty percent. You know, Robbie, I'm not gonna go for that. I mean, I don't know the stock, but what I would do is take your money out, take the take the cash that you have in it, and then uh, if you want to keep the stop loss, I don't like stop losses because you can go right through those in a second stock like that. But take some profits and then let the rest run. I want to do more work on this thing. And congratulations. You think that is this is what investing's about and speculation? They both work for me. Jeremy in Texas. Jeremy. Hi, Jim. I'm calling to see what you think about Neo. And I. Well, the thing got pancaked. Remember, it was on 60 minutes. The stock spiked, and then it got hit all the way down. Uh, the only Chinese stock I'm recommending is Alibaba, which I think is a great company, by the way. Uh, and I've used them in myself, and it's very good. Let's go to Lauren in Connecticut. Lauren. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. I'm calling to ask you about Everbridge. E-V-B-G. I got to do work on Everbridge. I had to do work on that one. Uh, I'm in the Neverbridge camp. I got to get in the Everbridge camp. Let's go to uh, Walt in Florida. Walt. Yes, sir. Hey, Jim. A big, big booyah to you, brother. How are you tonight? I'm doing fine. How about you? 
I'm fine. Thank you very much. I wanted to take a minute of your time and inquire about a uh, stock that I'm looking at. It's PEI, also known as Preet. Yeah, you know, I read the Inquirer piece about the opening of the new fashion mall downtown, and it really didn't, I, I, it just didn't sound that good. It, they, they pointed out some things that made it so it didn't seem that it was uh, going to turn the thing around. It has 16% yield. I'm worried about that yield. I want to stay away from PEI. I really do. I wish it were doing better. Let's go to Valerie in Florida. Valerie. Hey, Jim. Happy 2020. Booyah to ya. Oh, there you go. Right back at ya. What's going on? Thank you. Thank you. Well, I just want you to know I'm a big fan. Watch on Squawk Box on the t- all the time. Oh, thank you. And I'm married to a Philly man like you. Oh, boy. Guy. Here we go. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, I wanted to just ask you about Chewy. I love dogs, and I love Chewy. C-H-W-Y. We're in the same boat. You and me are the same boat. We love dogs, and we love Chewy. And uh, this is one of those situations where I feel like the love of the product and the fact that it's got great growth is okay for me and okay for you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, good of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. So people are dumbfounded that Tesla's stock can be worth almost as much as General Motors and Ford combined. That's right. Tesla has an $84.5 billion market cap. GM's at $50 billion. Ford at $37 billion. We hear this griping every time Tesla takes out every time Tesla takes out an important level. I remember the consternation when it grew bigger than Ford, then bigger than GM. Now it's almost the size of the two of them put together. I gotta tell you, I'm dumbfounded too. Dumbfounded that Tesla stock hasn't gone even higher. Why? Because the stock market loves growth, and this market in particular can't get enough of it. This is a chart of growth, people. Tesla has growth in spades. Of course, investors will pay up for it. GM has barely any growth. Ford's actually shrinking. Nobody wants to pay up for stagnation. Plus, Tesla's got a rapidly expanding business in China, which is all the more impressive when you consider that Ford's China business is in big trouble. And GM just told us its Chinese business will be down this year. Just like last year, it fell 15%. People are mocking the fact that Elon Musk did a jig last night on the Shanghai stage where he unveiled the new cars. I say you can blame him. He built a new plant that can produce 150,000 cars, and he did it in just 10 months. Ford and GM will be struggling to get that similar plant up running in 18 months. They're more in the habit of closing factories than opening them. Even better, Musk says this new plant can get its capacity up to 250,000, maybe in a couple of years. As far as I'm concerned, the guy can dance naked after those accomplishments. I don't care. More importantly, though, these kinds of comparisons between the old guard and the new ones, worthless. Wall Street will always pay much more for fast-growing companies with fabulous prospects. I remember in the 80s when Merck and then Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, passed the valuation first, U.S. Steel, and then GM, Ford. We were all agog. It had to be wrong. No, it's silly. This incredible bull market that began in 1981 has been about one thing and one thing only, growth. If you have it, your stock's worth more than a similar company in the same industry that doesn't have it. Unless those growth-free companies can be taken over, then it's pretty much of a loser in the eyes of growth-oriented investors. And I don't see Ford or GM being acquired. Value investors just want the dividends, and they hope, they hope that they're being paid to wait for a turn. Crucially, value investors, they're cheap stakes. They're just, that's what they are. That's why you can't compare a growth stock to a value stock. They appeal to entirely different audiences. Most audiences like growth. Now, I got really bullish on Tesla about 150 points ago when it became clear that the company can make money, maybe even a lot of money, as soon as next year. At the moment, you're getting another wave of conversion from bears to bulls. 27% of the float is still sold short, which is way too high for a company with positive earnings that can raise $2 billion if it needs it on a dime. 
What else made me go bullish? Elon got serious, stopped tweeting, stopped consulting the SEC. Solar business became a positive, not a drag. Someone threw a rock at the supposedly unbreakable window of a Tesla new pickup truck. It went through it, and no one cared. In fact, deposits skyrocketed. What more can you ask for? The Ford and GM versus Tesla comparison is just a parlor game. Tesla's got electric, electric vehicles. That's the future. GM has an electric vehicle that no one seems to want. Who the heck knows what Ford's up to? Who cares? Wake me up when Tesla's double the value of Ford and GM put together. It's double! That's when I might take a pause in my bullishness. But only if GM and Ford gain in value from here. Because if they decline, a double's too easy. Stick with Kramer. If we get that quick negative air pocket somebody looking for, I want you to think about buying the stock of Nike. I think it's just so right for that moment. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.